Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon Theologian. Recording in progress. Wouldn't that be a great gig to be able to make those little recordings <laughs> for folks? Recording in progress. Well, it's recording, according to the little lady in my Zoom outfit that said i don't know what zoom outfit looks like but she's wearing one <laughs> i think it would have a kind of a flash sign on it you know lightning or something <laughs> probably and she goes around practicing her nasal recording in progress can you hear the fan in the background what you have a fan club right there in your office what are they back there going yay clark yay clark no it's more like because it's nasal oh oh is this the same one doing from the zoom meeting that yeah it's one of those in your preferences you can choose fan club and she starts saying that i hadn't seen that but i'll look for it next time i'm looking in there it's pretty fun there are lots (laughs) of things in the background that most people don't know is in zoom but (laughs) welcome back it's good to see you again my good friend it's good to be back on another in the background now. Too long? Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was nice to have the fan club going in the background, though. Thanks for that. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I always need a little positive affirmation. We do. Those of you who are our fellow theologians, we've got a great topic for you today. Rick, why don't you tell our fellow theologians what they're going to win by listening today? Well, they could win an all-expense-paid trip to Battle Creek, Michigan. Yay, probably. But they'll most likely win is a better understanding of our topic and how the examples that we can see in the scriptures can relate to their lives. That's a great thing to win, let me tell you. I, and I it it's free. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> so what is this uh, crazy topic that we're talking about? that they can listen to for free and win all those benefits? Well, this is a question that we're hopefully at least uh, address, if not answer, that I think every Christian that I've ever known at one time in their life has asked, can God use a sinner like me to fulfill his perfect will? Uh, Yep. That yeah. is definitely a question I have asked myself. Some weeks too, I asked many it more times. than once. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes many times on the same day. No kidding. Yeah, that's a biggie. It it's, uh, relates, I think, to some of that self-talk that we all have. We have those little loops in the tapes that get played in our heads. I don't know if you, fellow theologian, have ever had this kind of self-talk. Stuff like, man, I'm a nobody. I'm such a sinner. God couldn't possibly use somebody as imperfect as I am. Maybe God can use those other people who haven't sinned as bad as I have, but my sin is really, really bad. So he couldn't possibly use me. You haven't had that self-talk, have you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually I have. Okay. Well, where do we think this self-talk is coming from? Well, it shouldn't be any surprise that the uh, father of lies, sometimes Mm -hmm. called Satan, is the father of lies. Um, 
he likes to whisper untruth to God's children. I mean, as we talked about, I think just last week, that he is omnimalevolent, meaning there's no good within him. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to pass that on to Christians who are trying to do God's will and, um, you know, help yeah. to fulfill his perfect will. It goes all the way back to the serpent talking to Eve. And we kind of played mm -hmm. with that a little bit a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But what did he tell her? He said, you won't really die if you eat the fruit. Uh, In other words, it's God that's the liar. You can't rely on him or take him at his word. Mm -hmm. So all the way back there. But yet we see in the New Testament, Satan is tempting Jesus. I think that's a, mm. a really important uh, little segment. It's, it's almost, you know, it's very short in the, the passages, but mm -hmm. it has so many lessons for us. This is the one at the very beginning of his ministry. Is that right? Right, right. Okay. After he'd yeah. been fasting for 40 days and was uh, pretty beat up from that. So Satan is talking to Christ and he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone uh, comes right out of he's, he's quoting Psalms, yeah. Psalm 91. So you think, well, that's God's word. That has to be true. What is Satan trying to do with that when he's tempting Jesus? It would be easy to think, oh, well, if it's in scripture, then it's gotta be true. But that's one of the things that we try to address as theologians. How do we use scripture correctly? Because if we use it incorrectly, it can even be used for evil. <laughs> it can be used for bad stuff. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, <laughs> it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan quotes from the Psalms. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. Jesus is using scripture correctly. Satan was using it for his advantage incorrectly. So Satan is trying to use God's word to get Jesus to do something that would be an abuse of God's power, in other words. He tried to instill doubt in Jesus, and he tried to get Jesus to give into the human temptation. And as a human, he was tempted in all ways, as we are. But Satan was trying to get him to give into a temptation to fulfill his human appetites for hunger, safety, control. It was as if Satan were saying, if you want to prove that you really are the Son of God, do something that will require a miracle. And if you'll do this crazy thing, God will protect you by sending his angels to protect you as he promised to do for the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, you won't get killed. Hmm. Yeah, it's never a good idea to require God to perform a miracle. And I've seen people almost get themselves in that position and yeah. never works out well. Not good. But we have another example. And this one I think most Christians can certainly relate to. You know, it's those lives that we hear whispered to us, which is, you just sinned again, you nasty sinner. God doesn't really love you. Now, of course, that's not true. We know that God loves the sinner. He hates the sin. It's not the behavior. It's the relationship. We've talked about that, you know, so many times, and we'll keep talking about it because it is so important. Yeah. And the follow-up to that, of course, is God can't use someone who is so sinful, especially you. Right. So what does his word say about that? 
Let's go to Romans, Romans 5. We, we quote this one all the time. Mm -hmm. But God chose his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ mm -hmm. died for us. He did it proactively. We didn't have to clean ourselves up. We didn't have to, you know, uh, put all the sin aside and become perfect individuals. He loved us enough at that point. He went ahead and died for us. And now he can do the work through us. Here's another a little example, and I think you've got a, a good explanation to follow. It's the story of the woman who was wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and his or, and her hair. Uh -huh. And the lesson we get from that, of course, is the one who has been forgiven much loves much. And that comes right out of uh, Luke chapter 7. And why don't you give us a little more background on that? Yeah, this is one of those crazy scenarios. Even just hearing you say that, trying to put myself objectively into listening to you say she was literally wiping his feet with her hair and her tears. I don't know anybody who's ever done that to me. <laughs> I don't know of anybody who's done that at all. I, I don't think so. I mean, that's kind of out there, right? And I'm sure that it would have felt out there to just about anybody, even back in that culture. But he turns that into a real teachable moment because she was not what a lot of people in that room would have thought of as a real moral or clean woman. She didn't clean herself up. <laughs> and yet there's something that he did for her that turned her life around. It changed her completely. And the whole point of this is that we don't have to become perfect and sinless before Jesus will accept us. And he's the one who makes us sinless. So here's that context. Starts at verse 36 of chapter 7 of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus goes to his house. He sits down to eat. And back then their custom was to recline on pillows at a low table. And when a certain immoral woman, that word is used there on purpose, from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. This was extravagant on her part because i've heard commentators talk about how expensive this would have been that's probably something that could have been saved for somebody's funeral to anoint the dead body so that could have cost a lot of money and she kneels behind jesus because he's reclined she's down by his feet and she starts to cry she's weeping and her tears fall on jesus feet and she wipes them off with her hair and then she keeps kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, yeah, that's out there. So when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. So what we have here is the Pharisee is thinking that Jesus, who has a very unusual ability, knows what he's thinking. And he answers his thoughts. That's pretty powerful. He says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And he says, go ahead, teacher. And Jesus told him a story. I love this. He answers with a story. Instead of saying, you dirty, rotten, low down, good fun. He, he says, no, let me tell you a story. A man loaned money to two different people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answers, 
I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. <laughs> That's right, Jesus said. And then he turns to the woman and says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't even offer to wash my feet with water. And I was dusty. I'd been walking in my sandals in the dirty road. And you didn't even offer to wash my feet. And yet and that was a common custom. It was. That was what they were supposed to do if you're a good host. Yeah, exactly. Obviously not a good host. No, he wasn't. And Jesus <laughs> continues that she has washed them with her tears and has wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. Also customary. You see that in movies all the time. They kiss each cheek. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Then he says, he's getting to the punchline. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Parenthetical statement on my part here. That's the right question. <laughs> it's very similar to the question that religious leaders were asking themselves after Jesus had forgiven that paralytic man whose friends had let him down through the roof of a house where he'd been teaching. We covered that in an earlier episode. And then Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. What a great story. And I love the comparison. I love the parable he, that he gives about the one who was forgiven much. That's the one who loves much. So let's check out a list together about all these people who show up in God's word in the Bible and see if there's some evidence that God used people with sin in their pasts. Rick, why don't you start us off on this list with person number one. I find it interesting that we can go all the way back into Genesis and find people that, that were used, and then we'll find some even in the New Testament, and I suspect we might find some that are current today. Yes. But let's start with Noah. So we remember Noah. Noah built a great ark. There was a big flood. All the animals were, were saved. The earth was repopulated after being so horrible that God couldn't stand it and said, I've got to find a a little remnant of people so we can repopulate everything. And that's what they did on the ark, big rainstorm, uh, ark floating around, sends the dove out. Okay, all that's done. And then after the flood, there was a point that Noah got drunk. Uh -oh. you, know, um, you know, we see wine in the New Testament, not necessarily a bad thing, but we are admonished not to be drunk. And here's mm -hmm. Noah. He's drunk. He's an embarrassment to his family. And this is a pretty uncomfortable episode in Noah's life. Why don't you remind us that even those who are saved by the grace of God are still prone to sin. Uh, that would be me. Uh, try to minimize it, but it still happens because we're still at war within ourselves in a real spiritual battle mm. between the sin nature and the spirit's character at work within us. Oh, yeah. And Noah's incident is a powerful warning about just how one careless decision can ruin your reputation. Hmm. You know, whether you're the godliest person, you know, man or woman walking the earth today can be wiped out in, in, a, in a heartbeat even. Mm -hmm. And yet, 
God still used Noah in a huge way. That story still benefits us. You know, all of the things that come from the story of the, the flood and the ark and so forth. But yet, even this little one gives us a, an insight into God's character when our character fails. Yeah, that's good. He did use him in a huge way, and that's really encouraging already to me. And we've only hit the first one. We've got several more to go, including this one. The big patriarch, Father Abraham, had many sons. So the Jews grew out of his family lineage, and God has that great covenant with him that says, I'm going to make your name great, and your descendants are going to be so many that it's going to be greater than the number of grains of sand on the seashore. So this is Abraham, great man. You'd expect him to be written up in scripture as this guy on a pedestal who never did anything wrong, <laughs> but he was a human being as well. And at one point, he was trying to move his family off into a different place, and he decides he's going to try something to save his wife, but it was sort of mixed motives. And I'm not sure if he was, I, it's hard to read somebody's motives. It's hard to read anybody's motives, but he tries to pass his wife, Sarah off as his sister. There was deception involved. He wasn't truthful. Well, the King takes her anyway, because he thought she was available. So it's kind of backfired. <laughs> He's thinking maybe, oh, this will be the way to do it. And eh. didn't work out the way he was hoping. Fortunately, the King listened to God through dreams because God used to use dreams a lot back in the Old Testament. And the king ended up blessing Abraham greatly, even though he didn't deserve it. Sometimes we think we're doing a good thing by telling a white lie or fudging something. Never works out well. We just need to be honest. And yet God was able to use him in a huge way, and he was able to bless him despite the fact that he messed up that one time. And that brings me to one of my favorite stories, the story of Jonah. Mm. Jonah reminds me of 10,000 reluctant Christians that I've known across my life. I mean, how many times have we sat down over a beverage and said, if only a scroll would drop out of the ceiling and I would know what God's will is. Well, yeah. Jonah knew what God's will was. That's true. He said, there are people in Nineveh, they're screwing up, they need to repent, you go to Nineveh. Tell them what they need to do. They will repent. All will be right with the world. What does Jonah decide to do? Let's say Jonah's sitting in Detroit, and God says, the people of New York need you. And he gets on a boat and goes to Chicago. Right. God needed to get his attention, whether it was a whale, a huge fish, whatever it was, he got swallowed. Mm -hmm. He's down in the belly of the fish figures out that it's a lesson for him that he's not going to get away with not doing God's will. The fish barfs him up on the beach right there by Nineveh. He goes in, preaches a sermon, probably reluctantly, like, you lousy sinners, you need to repent. And golly gee, they did. <laughs> it's like, hooray, we got the message. Oh, thank you so much, Jonah. And what's Jonah's response? He's mad. Yeah. He didn't want them to repent. He wanted God to wipe them out. Yeah. Hopefully that's not our reaction as good Christians today. Mm -hmm. Our response should be, oh, they've repented. This is a good thing. Let's rejoice with it, not be mad about it. Right. I, oh, Jonah. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. God can bless what Jonah was doing. If, you know, if he can just turn and run away and still be used by God, what does that tell us about those who are willing but hesitant. 
No kidding. Yep. Reminds me of another guy. This would be person number four in our lineup today. And that is Moses, another great man of faith that we read about in the Old Testament. He led all the people of God, the Israelites, out of Egypt where they were in bondage because they had sinned and God was using Egypt to punish Israel for a time. Well, Moses had actually killed an Egyptian because the Egyptian was mistreating one of the Hebrew people and he was trying to protect the Hebrew. So he's thinking he's doing a good thing because he's protecting this person, but it makes him a murderer and it makes him a fugitive because he has to flee. So he goes out and he has to learn about caring for sheep and becoming a shepherd, not knowing that God was using that to build his character so that he could become a shepherd of God's people too. While leading the Jews out of Egypt, Moses gets upset because the people are mumbling and grumbling and he had provided, God had provided water for them in the past and they're still mumbling and grumbling. So Moses finally gets upset and instead of just speaking to the rock, the second time around, which God told him to do very specifically, Moses has a hissy fit. <laughs> he uh, gets a little angry and he strikes the rock and he strikes it twice, in fact. And God still provides for his people. That's how gracious God is. He didn't punish all the people from Moses' sin, but Moses did get punished for that. He wasn't killed, however, which is amazing. I know some people from different religions have seen that story and they would say, I still think God is very gracious because the God that I have served or gods that I serve would have been vindictive and angry, and they would have killed Moses on the spot for disobedience like that. And yet God still blessed him. So Moses wasn't able to go into the promised land, but he wasn't killed either. And we have Moses to thank for getting the children of Israel all the way out of Egypt and for creating that wonderful foreshadowing called the Passover, which shows us what happens for those of us who are covered by the blood because of Jesus and what he does for us as the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for us. There's all these great things that come out of Moses' life, but Moses was a human and he sinned as well. Another huge man of faith. He's called a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. We first see David as a, a, a boy of faith who says, I can take on Goliath, no big deal. He becomes the successor to Saul. But in the interim, he has the chance to kill Saul. He doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. All these things, just powerful man of God, man after God's own heart. And yet, still a man, still human, still succumbs to uh, a lust, has an affair with Bathsheba to make it worse. It's not going to be kept a secret. She becomes pregnant, not going to hide this forever. She's married. Uh -oh. Uriah's her husband. Uh -oh. He's out on the battlefield. David calls him in. I think that David should have probably been out there leading his troops, but he wasn't, and mm -hmm. then he got in trouble. So he calls Uriah back and expects him to go home, sleep with his wife, can mm -hmm. hide the fact that uh, his sin has made her pregnant. We can call it Uriah's baby. Everything will be right with the world. Mm -hmm. And he, feeling that uh, his first loyalty is to his fellow soldiers, refuses to go in the house and sleep with her. Mm -hmm. So David's plan is falling apart. He's got to go to plan B. Plan B is not any better. In fact, it's probably a lot worse. He tells the commanders, take Uriah, put him on the front line, leave him there and back off. What is he really trying to do? He's trying to get him killed. David, not a good plan. 
mean, some serious sin all the way around here for David. Mm-hmm. And yet one of the strongest examples that we have, especially from the Old Testament, of how somebody can be in tune with God. And yet this was not a very good period in his life. This is a really big black mark on his re- reputation, on his character. And yet God was able to use him in a mighty way in the land of Israel. No kidding. Yeah, we have some good Psalms from David. One of them that was written after he had been found out. (laughs) And the man who said, gave him a little story to share about this man who had done something terrible. David, not knowing the story was about him. Exactly. And and he goes, but you are that man. You the guy. (laughs) And then David finally has this contrition and real remorse. And there are consequences for his actions too. And some of those consequences were tragic. And yet, and this is the the big part, and yet God still used him in a big way, including the fact that the Messiah was going to sit on David's throne, is going to be descendant of David. So God still uses people in a big way, even though there's sin in their background. Yeah, and when you look at some of those Psalms, you can see the heartbreak and the true repentance mm. that he has for that whole uh, that whole episode. No kidding. Yeah. Another one, Jacob, one of these sons of Abraham. <clears throat> There's Jacob and Esau. He was the supplanter, the liar. He's the one who really wanted to take the, the birthright from his brother. That was his nature. And yet later his name is Israel, and it's his descendants who become the Jews. So a guy with the character who's a liar and a supplanter and a conniver, yet another example. Yeah, when you go all the way back, you look at God's original plan, the gospel was supposed to be shared to the world by the Jews. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the guys who was creating that whole Jewish race. Mm -hmm. So it makes you wonder sometimes, you know, what is God thinking? (laughs) (laughs) He's got these big plans, and yet there's all these folks in here that uh, are really big screw-ups. Yeah. So let's go to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I mean, a pretty obvious example of somebody who kind of let Christ down is Peter. Mm. Christ tells him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. And he says, no, no, that, that would, I would die for you. Mm-hmm. And not a few hours later, what does he do? Denies him once, denies him again, denies him the third time. The rooster crows, he's reminded of of that whole incident where he knew ahead of time, and he's totally distraught. Mm -hmm. Christ dies on the cross, everybody's dejected, the resurrection happens, the filling of the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter becomes the spokesman in the book of Acts for the Christian faith. At Pentecost, he preaches 3,000 people were added to their number or were saved, added to the church. Now, where I live, (laughs) there's no church that's 3,000 people. 3,000 people is half of our town. I mean, that would be considered uh, maybe not a mega church, but a mini mega church in today's Christian world. Peter screws up. The good news is the Holy Spirit comes. He becomes a powerful man of God Mm -hmm. and builds that early church. I probably identify with Peter a lot. There are several of these in this list that I identify with, but so far I think he's probably the one I identify with the most because I can say things in the heat of the moment because I'm emotionally charged and I'll make a great promise. And then I realize what a coward I am. (laughs) And he was a coward. You know, he's just a coward. 
And yet, God uses cowards, and he uses people who make promises and then breaks them. So Peter's a, Peter's a good example for that. I well, bet you have another one. I do. This is one of the three people that we're, we're missing the third, and uh, probably because Mary was such an upstanding citizen that we're not going to include her in this list, but it would be Peter, Paul, and Mary. So we're going to talk about Paul. Paul was this guy that he was the persecutor of Christians one day, and then the next day, he is a Christian. Something miraculous and powerful happened in Paul's life on the road to Damascus. And the guy who was breathing threats to Christians and had a lot of people thrown in jail, he thought he was on the right side of history. He thought he was on the right side of religion because he was protecting his religion. And he was so antagonistic toward Christians that they were afraid of him. And now here's this guy who turns out writing 13 of the New Testament books in our Bible today. <laughs> so because of all the things he had done before he was converted, before he met Christ, before the grace of God changed him so completely, he called himself the chief of sinners in the New Testament because he knew if God can forgive me, I'm telling you, he can forgive anybody. So that's a great example of how God can use somebody with a lot of sin in their past. We don't have to look at just singular persons either. Let's take a look at, at the disciples on the night that Christ was betrayed. They go with him into the Garden of the Gethsemane. Christ is praying, asking that the cup be taken away. And what are they doing? Well, Judas is out of there. He's over betraying him to the Pharisees, and the rest of them are napping. Mm -hmm. They just fall asleep. They can't stay awake with him in his greatest hour of needs. The chosen, most of the chosen 12 were there with him mm -hmm. and they're asleep. Jesus gets arrested and they scatter. Uh, but God used those 11 disciples. Judas, not so much. Yes. He had a different role to play. Mm -hmm. And he took those 11 and established the new church. And they gave their lives in service to the risen Lord, some of them in very horrible ways, but yeah. they were all in, they were in for life, or in this case, in for death. Yeah. What else do we have because of them? The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John disciples wrote those gospels, giving us eyewitness testimony of Christ on earth. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So, when we, Think about the new church. They were having the apostles teaching, going house to house. Well, what is the apostles teaching for us? It's the New Testament because <laughs> exactly. they were the apostles. Yeah. yeah. You said you had seen a guy. I'm ADDing a little bit here. I'm going ping, ping, ping. But you had mentioned that you had watched a guy on YouTube. I think you mentioned that his first name was Todd. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. His name is Todd White. And when I first came across him, I don't remember, he may have just crossed my YouTube feed for, for some unknown reason, but he looks like he could be of mixed race, which is not particularly important, mm -hmm. but he's kind of strange looking. He's When I first saw him, he had some dreadlocks that were down to his shoulders. Now they're down to his rear end. And this guy has a testimony like you probably haven't really heard before. He was a drug addict for more than 22 years. Wow. He was a liar. He was a thief and he destroyed his life and the life of his girlfriend and his daughter. I mean, he was a mess. Mm -hmm. His testimony includes being shot at from 10 feet away because he was trying to rip off a drug dealer 
and the drug dealer pulled out a gun and emptied it in his direction. And he says, I auditorily heard the words, I took those bullets for you. Wow. He had an encounter with Jesus. Hmm. And now he reaches people all over the world. He doesn't call himself an evangelist. He calls himself a believer. Hmm. He has the gift of knowledge and the gift of healing. Now, some people say, oh, well, that was gone years and years ago. But when you watch people you know, with a broken foot be able to walk again because he's prayed over it, it's a pretty powerful testimony. Hmm. And he teaches people now how to just be real as Christians hmm. and making a huge impact. He says, strike up a conversation, find out what's going on in their life and pray with them about it. Wow. in the name of Jesus, and see what happens. You know, it, it's very powerful. But here's a drug addict who destroyed his life, but the power of Christ came in and completely turned him around to the point that now he's teaching others how to live out the gospel every single day. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, and it should be fairly simple for us to just be authentic. And I think that's probably what draws me to people who are genuine believers more than anything else, is their authenticity. If I find somebody who's trying to put on airs, or they seem condescending, or the spiritually elite, or if I think they're just faking it, I'm turned off by that. I just want somebody to be honest and real and say, yeah, I still struggle just like everybody else. And I have times in my life when I feel like, how could God possibly use a sinner like me? And yet he tends to do that. And that's apparently what this guy does. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. It was, it's really you neat know, to hear. Talking about authenticity, and I'm reminded of that little scene out of MASH where they're talking about something and uh, somebody says something about sincerity and Hawkeye says, ah, sincerity, I can fake that. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with Hawkeye. authenticity. We can fake that, can but fake we really that. can't because that will no. be found out. So, That's for sure. Uh, I think you have another example of what we would call current day sinners that could be used for Christ. Yep, and he calls himself that. I heard about this guy from a friend who used to attend North Phoenix Baptist Church, and I do believe that you actually used to attend that church back in the day. I did. Oh, um, I think you had played trumpet in their orchestra, if I remember right. I did. I was in the weenie orchestra, not the really, really good orchestra. You, you were in the weenie orchestra instead of the bratwurst uh, orchestra? Like string orchestra. Oh, okay. All right. String orchestra. Is that spaghetti or different kind of strings? <laughs> different kind of strings. Okay. All right. Very cool. Well, it, there's this guy who started attending after I had left the Phoenix area because I had moved to go to seminary. But uh, you might recognize his name, those of you who are a rock star person. And even if you're not a rock star person, uh, you probably recognize Alice Cooper. He was deep into the rock star lifestyle, as deep as one can get. <laughs> and through his story, which I've seen in several interviews on YouTube, because I just got fascinated with him recently. And he had this come to Jesus moment when he literally came to Jesus, God turned his life around. And I mean, turned him around in a big way. And it's incredible to see how God can grab somebody who's literally at the edge of a cliff, pull them back to safety, and just turn their life so completely around that they're not the same person anymore. Alice Cooper, the Christian, isn't afraid to say, oh yeah, I was a whopper of a sinner, but God forgave me, and he gave me a new life in Christ. We're going to put a link uh, to a video in the description of this podcast. This is not 
Todd White. It's not Alice Cooper. This is somebody completely different. I can't do it justice, but in case you're interested in one more person's story, it's a woman who didn't think that a holy God would ever be able to forgive someone like her. It's an inspiring story, and it's tragic at the beginning and redemptive, as you can see how God used her. So I'm going to put that link in our description for today's talk as well. So we're starting to see that God is the kind of God who loves sinners. You said it early at the beginning of this podcast. He hates the sin, but he had to do something about that, and he did so by taking our place on a cross. There's one more example, and I love this example too. Rick, why don't you tell us about this one? Uh, it's an example of how Jesus feels about sinners like you and me, the people who are sort of outsiders, so to speak. Right, we look at Christ's life. I mean, he started in a stinky stable. He died on a criminal's cross. He shook up prejudices. So many things are paradoxical in the Bible. Yeah. You know, the weak are strong, the strong are wimps. Outsiders are insiders and insiders, you know, they don't really know how far outside they are. That's so true. Here's an example. There's an unorthodox invitation that Jesus gives to Matthew. Hmm. It's actually in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. He's the poster child for outsiders. He'd be considered a traitor in his homeland. Yeah. He's working for the occupying forces, and he's making a pile of cash for doing it. Mm -hmm. It's a dirty business dealing with the Gentiles. But he's rising in the ranks to the top 1% by exploiting his own people hmm. with super high interest rates. You got to work pretty hard to sink any lower on the socially acceptable ladder than Matthew. That's so true. Tax collector guys were not well thought of. It was simple. They collected the taxes and anything beyond that, they got to keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, needless to say, they were not well thought of amongst the, the regular populace. But what was Jesus' reaction to Matthew? It was not what we would expect from somebody who was one of his own types, one of his own people. He recognizes Matthew. He sees him. I mean, really sees him. He doesn't just notice a guy sitting in a tax collector's booth. With Jesus, there are no secrets. And so he knows who Matthew really is, and he sees him. He also invites him. This is a real shock to some people. He says simply, follow me. I want you to come where I am. And by that, he meant walk the same path of life that I walk. And here's the crazy thing. This is the weird thing about it is Matthew got up and he followed him. <laughs> he took him up on his invitation. And then he does something that is kind of angering and upsetting and perplexing to a lot of the religious folks then. He eats with him. Jesus not only sees him, he not only invites him, but he eats with this tax collector. And it's not like Jesus chooses an out-of-the-way, hole-in-the-wall falafel joint where people aren't likely to see them. He actually has dinner, you ready for this, at Matthew's place, along with, as if eating at his house isn't bad enough, many tax collectors and sinners. Oh yes, and his disciples happen to be there as well. <laughs> So what a scene. I mean, what a scandal inside this house. And the way the houses were set up, they would have courtyards around the outside leading off into the main streets. So there could actually be people gathering to listen in on the conversations in the courtyard and peer over and see what's going on. It would almost be like if we threw open our glass Arcadia doors to our patio 
and we had a small four foot fence on the back and people were in the alleyway just chilling out with us and watching us and it was a spectator sport well here we are inside the house all those sinners are just chilling with the master and outside the house a bunch of religious folks are going goofy with gossip <laughs> they want to know why he this ridiculous so-called rabbi is eating with tax collectors and sinners and so Jesus offers an answer to those outside the house, the ones who thought they were the insiders, <laughs> topsy-turvy. He informs them that the healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he tells them, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this is where this topsy-turvy story turns personal. The thing is, and I speak from experience here, we're all sinners. You and I have said this numerous times. We've said it today. We're all sinners. Because of Jesus' response to Matthew and to many other outsiders who became insiders, here's what should be really inspiring news. Rick, take it away from this point forward. Most of us have, and if you're in that category where you have, for whatever reason, felt like an outsider, mm -hmm. the way Jesus dealt with Matthew is the way he can deal with you. Yeah. Okay? Just realize that he really sees you. He knows who you are inside and out. He knows your past and he's painfully aware of what you're struggling with in the present. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want that for you. He feels it with you. And so he offers an invitation just like he did with Matthew. Follow me. Now, your simplest response is just to follow him. You don't want to let the religious prudes in your life tell you otherwise. And there'll be a bunch of them. Yep. Don't let them tell you that it's more complicated than that or that Jesus' invitation doesn't extend to you because of how bad a sinner you are, mm -hmm. because he is a true friend. We're not talking about a virtual media friend who can unfollow you in a heartbeat. <laughs> He'll be a friend that sticks to you closer than a brother, as we read in the, the New Testament, or if you want to be gender neutral, closer than a blood relative. Mm -hmm. He's the type of friend that hangs out with you. And he can even hang out with some of your friends who are kind of sketchy because mm -hmm. he's extending the same invitation to them as well. Isn't that great to know? Here's the deal. Jesus came not to wallpaper over some cracks in your wall. He came to tear down the walls and create from the very foundation a brand new you, starting with your soul. He talks about how you become a brand new creation. He came looking for people, people just like you and me. He found me a long time ago. Mm -hmm. He wants to reach out to everyone who has ever felt like an outsider. Yeah. And there's something else you should know. When you accept Jesus' invitation to dine with you, there will probably be a bunch of those religious prudes standing outside getting goofy with gossip. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because they don't get it, mm -hmm. at least not yet. The why and how of Jesus' acceptance of you, despite your past sins, is he makes you that brand new creation, and you become clothed in his righteousness. It's not about yours, because you don't have any. Right. He's the only one who led a perfect, sinless life in perfect righteousness, and he takes that robe and he places it on your shoulders. And that's why your past sins, the ones that may be happening right now and the ones that will happen in the future, mm -hmm. they don't get in the way of his ability to convert those experiences 
into opportunities for ministry. Who would be better to reach out to someone who's trapped in a particular sin than someone who's gone through it already? Look at Todd White. Think he can relate to a drug addict? You better believe he can. And he'll even teach you how to deal with those prudes. (laughs) The trick is to be nice. That's the first. We we react in love. And then he may ask you to invite those prudes in as well. He's chasing after them. He would like for them to share a real nice banquet with him and with you, and let the gossips talk about them as well. And here's another thing. Be encouraged, really, Mm -hmm. really. That meal with Matthew, that wasn't a one-off. That was the real deal, and it was for keeps. Matthew, the tax collector, the quintessential outsider, became one of Jesus's insiders, one of the chosen 12 to be apostles. He's extending the very same invitation to you. He did to me. And we can become as strong Christians as Mm. those apostles. Mm -hmm. Man, that's powerful stuff. It's good to know. I'm encouraged to know that despite the fact that I feel like a failure much of my life, you can keep putting that in your past because it's in your past. And God keeps reminding me that I need to do that because I'm not living in the past. Uh, I've mentioned it before. I'm not nearly what I used to be. I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but I'm still in process. <laughs> talked about, uh, you know, that invitation. So I bet mm-hmm. there's a way that we can make this much more personal because we've talked about it in the abstract. We've talked about it in uh, more concrete terms as it relates to people today. Mm-hmm. So what would somebody need to do to hear the invitation of follow me and actually follow Christ? Let me do that, and I will try to just formulate what comes into my mind about a prayer. Uh, I've been reading Psalm 51 earlier this week about when David was feeling so contrite. Uh, He was so remorseful because of his great sin, and that becomes a good model prayer for all of us. So if you want to look that up later, you can use that to understand what it means to just pray from your heart and let God know what you're really feeling. So I'll just try to say a, a quick prayer. And uh, hopefully it will become sort of a, an example of what you can pray. But what really matters is you're just telling them in your own words what's in your own heart. So it could go something like this. God, I'm really grateful that you are a God who loves sinners because I am one. And even though I'm painfully aware of my sin, I'm really encouraged to hear all these examples of people, even in the Bible, who have sinned. Some of them whopper sinners, and yet you forgive them. And not only do you forgive them, but you use them powerfully to accomplish your eternal will and purposes. So I pray that you'll do that with me. Thank you that you see me and you know me, all of me, even what I'm struggling with right now. Thank you that you still forgive sin, that you're doing that every day for people, and you'll continue to do that every day of my life. I ask for that forgiveness, and I thank you that you're forgiving me as I say the word because your spirit is instantaneous in that forgiveness. Thank you for that. I pray that you're going to come and indwell in my heart and cover over me with that cloak of righteousness that Rick mentioned and that you've mentioned from the Apostle Paul and others in the New Testament. And I thank you that you're going to be covering me because of what you did for me on the cross, because I could never earn this, and so you earned it for me. You paid the debt of sin by taking my place of atonement. Thank you for that. 
And now I pray that you'll continue to just help me to walk in your steps so that I'm on that road of righteousness, getting to be more and more like you every day. And I thank you that I can claim that promise that you who began that good work in me will be faithful to complete it. And I thank you for that as well. Thank you for all of that. I have a lot to be grateful for. And I just want to love you back because I know I can never pay you back. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And it's powerful. And whether someone is needing of a little forgiveness or a lot of forgiveness, mm -hmm. it's complete forgiveness. No kidding. Everything. And that is, is so uh, releasing yeah. to, to have that burden just gone. That's, yeah. It's an amazing thing. So fellow theologians, if you've done that, good deal. <laughs> We're happy for you, and as always, we would love to hear from you. If anything we have said touches you in a personal way, in a positive way, and if you want to comment on that, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can reach me personally at ccothernii at gmail.com, or it's a little longer to type out, but you can type out mondayafternoontheologians at gmail.com, and we're praying that God's going to use some of these things to help prompt you in your walk with the Lord as well. And you can start to understand that wonderful love and grace that Rick and I talk about so much as well. Rick, thanks for hanging out with me for another Monday afternoon. Oh, it's my pleasure. I look forward to it all week. Very good. And I hope, fellow theologians, that you'll join us again next time for another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon. Theologians. 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 Theologians.